Let's pray. <laughs> so, Father, we just thank you that uh, it's great when we can get together and worship you. But, Lord, there's more to life than cricket and rugby. <laughs> and, uh, Lord, we want to focus on you and your plans and your purposes. So have your way in our life, we just ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So in five weeks' time, Penny and I are heading to Germany to minister to the Steiger missionaries, and really, they are my heroes. Uh, they do such an amazing job in reaching the unreached global youth culture in Europe, and part of me would love just to stay at home and just have a holiday. I mean, we've been so, so busy. I, I hate plane travel. Anyone else with me on that one? Yeah, I, I just, I don't, I don't like plane travel. But I want to help make a difference. And so my love for our missionaries and the call to fulfill Jesus' last command to see the good news of Jesus Christ preached all over the world just trumps my dislike every time. So this morning, I, I thought I'd talk to you about the mission of the church. So I'm speaking to us as, as church people here. Uh, over, over the years, we've heard a lot about missions from the church perspective. Uh, we've heard some about missions from God's perspective, but I'm actually going to talk about missions this morning from the devil's perspective. All right. Uh, in 25 years of ministry in this church, I haven't spoken a lot about the devil. Uh, I find that most people are more interested in the love of God than the hate of the devil. Wouldn't that be true? Yeah. Nevertheless, nevertheless, the Bible has got a lot to say about the devil. Uh, he's been around for a long time, deceiving, murdering, working catastrophic chaos and mayhem in the earth. Jesus, when he was talking to the Pharisees, said, uh, you belong to your father, the devil. And boy, that'd be a nice thing for someone to say to you, wouldn't you? You know, uh, Jesus didn't pull any punches. And you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So Jesus' description of, of the devil is... Um, Pretty to the point, basically, he's a liar of liars. And, and, and in Revelation 12, verse 9, it says, So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceived the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So the devil's angels are what we call demons. Okay. Now, the devil knows from his time in heaven and his past experiences with God that God's word always comes to pass. Okay, He knows that. He knows that God always speaks the truth, that God never lies. And the devil also knows what God has said about him and his future demise. So in Revelation 20 verse 10, it says, The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I can't just imagine what that is like. It's forever and ever and ever uh, and torment. But that is where the devil is headed. 
God's word makes it really clear not only what's going to happen to the devil, but it makes it clear when it's going to happen. And Matthew 24, verse 14, Jesus talking again, and he says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all people groups, and then the end will come. So David Peters and I were talking about um, the myriad of different views on end-time events. And uh, there's pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. There's a whole pile of stuff going on and out there. But the reality is um, we both concluded there are two things specifically that everyone agrees with. Uh, The first of these is that Jesus is coming again. And the second thing is we've got to be ready now. Okay, those are two things that everyone agrees with. But thirdly, uh, it's not going to happen until... The word of God is preached to every people group. So the devil knows that before the inevitable happens to him, the gospel has to first be preached to all people groups. So as long as the gospel is kept from being preached to all the nations, the devil's devil's still on earth and not in hell. Now... Put yourself in the devil's shoes. Wouldn't your first priority be to see that the gospel is not preached to the world? I mean, you can't put off where you're going to be going. There's nothing can stop the devil being cast into hellfire but when it happens he can put off and that's why his power his authority his resources are committed to stop the gospel from spreading his whole survival depends on it I think the devil is totally committed to keeping the church from going into all the world and preaching the gospel to every creature so that the end his end won't come. Christians who are totally committed to Jesus' last command are the devil's greatest threat and his worst nightmare. The devil has schemes and strategies in place to keep the gospel from getting to people, and he works at it like his eternal destiny depends on it. For instance, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, it says, the God of this age, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So Satan's not only trying to damn mankind, he's trying to preserve himself. That's what he's working to. So he uses despair and despondency to dishearten and discourage anyone who takes Jesus' command to go save the world okay so with that in mind I mean we need to pray for our missionaries as I was as I was preparing this I was thinking Logan uh, you may have had a horrible year 
this year. But that's because you are trying to do something great. And I was thinking I would rather fail at trying to do something great than succeed in doing nothing. So we need to pray for those that are stepping out in faith. So what does the devil try and do? Well, first of all, the devil tries to marginalize missions and the reaching of the lost. And he tries to keep reaching the lost from becoming the first priority of the local church and local Christians. You see, it's no good having a missions program without a missions passion and a missions commitment. For hundreds of years in the middle of church history, not one missionary was sent out. The first priority of the church was keeping her doctrine pure. It's, it's so easy to get so busy in church life with all of our departments and the hundreds of details that are involved in running a church and forget that the reason why we exist is to reach lost people and help them connect with God and become fully committed followers of Christ. It's been said that the really idle man gets nowhere. The perpetually busy man doesn't get much further. Uh, We need to keep coming back to our mandate of making Jesus' first priority, our first priority, but recognizing that this is the area that we're going to find more opposition than anything else. Every one of us can pray. Every one of us can support with our time and our talents and our resources. And every one of us can work and go locally, regionally, and internationally, working towards seeing Jesus' last command fulfilled. Uh, Oswald J. Smith, who is the pastor of one of the great mission-sending churches, said, why should anyone hear the gospel twice before everyone has heard it once? So the devil tries to convince Christians that there is plenty of time, no rush, no hurry to reach our friends and neighbours, let alone those who have never heard the, about the gospel overseas. Uh, Robert Moffat said, we, we've, we have all eternity to celebrate our victories, but only one short hour before sunset to win them. Wow. Every man, every woman, every boy, every girl is only one heartbeat away from eternity. 1 Corinthians 7.29 says, The important thing to remember is that our remaining time is very short, and so are our opportunities for doing the Lord's work. Time is so short, eternity is so long. And Jesus talking in the Living Bible translation of what he says in John 4.35 says, Do you think that the work of harvesting will not begin until summer ends four months from now? Look around you. Vast fields of human souls are ripening all around us and are ready now for reaping. The need is for workers, goers, givers. Uh, The need of a ripe harvest is not for it to get any riper, but for people to go and give so it can be harvested. 
And that is so important because in marginalizing missions, the enemy will lie to you and try and convince you that the task is too big and you can't make a difference. But I want to tell you this morning that with God, each of us can make a huge difference locally as we show people God's love and tell them that they can experience God's love and peace for themselves, people will realize that this is what they've been missing all their lives. Prayer is so important because prayer weakens the power of the enemy over people's lives and prepares people's hearts to be set free. Prayer is like uh, the bombing raids that used to happen during World War II, which goes, softens up the ground before the troops go in to take the ground. And prayer does that. And as we have been given God's Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit empowers us in missions. The devil tries to lie and convince people that the Holy Spirit has been sent to bless us in our life instead of helping us to reach the world with the gospel. Acts 1 verse 8 says, And you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The reason why we have been given the Holy Spirit is so that we would have the power to deliver the message of Jesus Christ to our neighbors, to our city, to our region, to the nation, and to the ends of the earth. So that's what the Holy Spirit is for, not just a source of comfort and blessing. Secondly, the devil tries to trick Christians into focusing on just this world and not the next one. He says... Live for the temporal, not the eternal. Work your whole life for a few years of retirement. Live for it right now because right now is all you've got. That's basically what he'll be whispering to you. And as good as this life is, and it is pretty good for most New Zealanders, it's not the end. There is an eternity to come. When we die, we aren't just going to cease to be conscious. We are eternal beings. We are going to meet our maker and spend eternity with him or without him. Christian, you know that your experience with God and with his word confirms this to be true. In the uh, 80s when I was uh, living in Hamilton and the end of the 80s when I was working in Hamilton AOG, there was a guy on staff there called Ian McCormick. And Ian McCormick, as some of you will know, when he was a young man um, traveling the world surfing, he went night diving in Mauritius. And while he was night diving, he was stung by five box jellyfish. Five uh, box jellyfish are some of the most venomous animals on the earth. Okay? By the time they got him back into the boat, he was... Um, he was going um, frozen, he'd lost feeling. By the time they got him back to the shore, his friends just dumped him and left because I was so scared of what was happening. Eventually, he was picked up by a, a taxi, taken to hospital. By the time he got on the operating uh, table, he was dead. Um, when he died, Ian tells us that he went to heaven. And... He spends quite a bit of time uh, 
describing what heaven was like and all the other bits and pieces. Uh, but then when, he, when Jesus sent him back to earth, Ian woke up in the morgue as the mortician was sticking a scalpel into his foot. Now, <laughs> I just say that to say he was dead. <laughs> he was gone. Uh, if any of you want to Google a glimpse of eternity and Ian McCormack, he has an absolutely fascinating um, tale to tell about what heaven was like. This last week, I watched with Penny a, um, a DVD, which the teenagers are going to see next time you meet together, called Heaven is for Real. And it's a story of a four-year-old boy who visits heaven when he, he dies on the operating, or nearly dies on the operating table. And his account of what heaven is like, and Ian's, which I had heard firsthand, uh, very, 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 very similar. But in this particular situation, over the, um, the weeks and months after uh, his near-death experience, the boy is able to tell his parents, um, first of all, what they were doing when he was on the operating table. Because he said he went, he left his body, and while he was above his body, he could see that his father was in the chapel um, telling God how much uh, he was disappointed in him. And his mother uh, was in another room praying, etc. So he was able to tell them exactly what was going on. The other thing that he did was um, when he was in heaven, he saw this uh, young man, and he was able to identify this young man as his grandfather from pictures that his father showed him afterwards. So, um, so he was able to say to his father, um, the man said that he was your dad. And so the father gets out a picture of his dad, and he said, was this the man? And he said, no. He didn't have glasses. Uh, he was younger, much younger than this. So the father gets out a picture of his father in his youth, and he said, yeah, that's the man. Another thing that he was able to do was he told his mother that he met a girl in heaven who told him that she was his sister and had died in her mum's womb. And he'd never been told that. And so there was lots and lots of other pieces of information that this four-year-old um, told his parents that were absolutely impossible f uh, for him to know outside of the reality of his experience of going to heaven. Heaven is real, and so is hell. When we focus on this world, we are tricked into believing that the purpose of, for instance, prosperity, is to see how many toys we can buy and how many things we can accumulate before we die. I mean, the devil gets Christians to love earthly treasures more than the heavenly treasures. He gets us to believe that the temporal and... Uh, and investing in things of this earth is more important than eternal uh, investment in souls. Now, God knows our needs. I love it that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 31, he said, so don't worry about these things, saying what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Jesus said, God knows your needs. 
God knows your needs. Every person here this morning, God knows your needs. But he says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So our major focus shouldn't be directed towards accumulation of things. I think it's a little bit like the game of Monopoly. You know, in Monopoly, how many people have played Monopoly? Yeah, yeah right. So you know, the, the winner is the one who accumulates the most. Uh, actually, it was, it was really... Uh, Penny and I were watching a program on TV uh, that was the last 2,000 years of London. And it traced London's history all the way through. And it was really, really fascinating. But what was fascinating for me was there was Park Lane. There was, <laughs> there, there was Piccadilly. <laughs> there was all those things on the Monopoly board. <laughs> they were there. <laughs> and it was interesting to see what they used to be like and how they grew. And, um, yeah, that's just an aside. <laughs> but the reality is, the reality is, what happens at the end of the game? Everything goes back in the box. I want to tell you, when you die, everything goes back in the box. You can't take anything with you. All right? That's it. It doesn't matter how much you've accumulated. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor. You leave the lot when you die. Uh, the Egyptians tried to get around that by putting things in, in, the, um, in the tomb of the pharaohs. Guess where those things ha- stayed? In the tomb of the pharaohs. <laughs> they didn't take it with them. Okay. Matthew 6 verse 19 says, Don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moss and rust destroy and where the thieves break in and steal. Store up for yourself treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For we are treasurers. That's where your heart is also. So my treasurer is in the nations because that's where Penny and I have been sowing our finances into for years. In fact, the Living Bible says of verse 21, if your profits are in heaven, your heart will be there too. So invest in reaching people for Jesus. 2 Corinthians 4.18, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, for what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. This life is just so short compared to eternity. So we need to make sure that we use this life preparing for eternity and taking as many people with us as we can. So thirdly, the devil tricks or tries to trick people into believing that we can live life without God. You know, life without God doesn't work because he created us to know him and to live with his help. Knowing that we are eternal beings. I, I had no idea that when I left school, heading for Massey University to do a degree in biotechnology would change my life for eternity. In my first year, I had an encounter with God that completely changed me, changed the direction of my life, gave me peace from within and the hope of a God-planned future. Completely different, changed through an encounter with God. No matter how good your life may seem to be now, with God, it's better. And what's more, this life is so short compared to eternity. And when you know God, you know that your eternal destiny 
is secured. Jesus said, and this is a shock to a lot of people, that he is the only way to God. Not good works, not other religions. And I know some other religions have Jesus in their books, but the reality is if they believe what he said, then they would know that Jesus said he is the way, he's the truth, he is the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Nobody. Can't do it. The devil's plan has worked for almost 2,000 years. He's gotten away with marginalizing missions, distracting pastors, seducing Christians to live for the moment and love material things. And he's got away with convincing people that they don't need God for almost two millenniums. But something's happened in the past few decades that he never reckoned on. You see, a generation has risen up to embrace Jesus' last command as their first priority. And this is the devil's worst nightmare, his absolute worst-case scenario. Millions of Christians are not falling for his tricks anymore. And let me give you some facts that you won't read in the newspaper. In AD 100, that's 100 years after the death of Christ, Okay, there were... 360 people for every believer. Today, there's 7.3 people for every believer. In AD 100, there were 12 unreached people groups for every congregation of believers. Today, there is one unreached people group for every 1,000 congregations. 50% of Africa is Christian. Every seven weeks in Latin America, a million more people are being born again. You hear a lot about what's happening in the Muslim world. You don't hear a heck of a lot what's happening in the Christian world. Over half of the population of Brazil, Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador are already born again. 40% of Chile, Costa Rica, Bolivia are Bible-believing Christians. Over one million Chinese are born again every month. That's 35,000 a day coming to Jesus Christ. But, people, we need to be strategic with our efforts. 72% of missionaries with 85% of world missions dollars goes to countries where there is already local churches and Bibles available. Currently, only 1% of missions dollars and 3% of missionaries go to the 2 billion people who have never heard of Jesus, have no access to the gospel, no Bibles, no churches, no believers. That's the group we need to be targeting with our overseas missions. So as much as I would like to take a missions group to Fiji so that we can lie on the beach and visit a few churches, it's not going to be nearly as effective 
as if I give money to those who are trying to reach countries where there is no churches and no Bible and no access. So I've, I don't know how clearly you can see that, but that pink-shaded area is what they call the 1040 window. And that contains most of the unreached people groups in the world. And uh, we need to be strategic. I mean, when you've got a little bit of money left over, if you're like my wife, when she sees something she needs, she doesn't go out and buy it straight away. Oh, man, talk about self-control. She waits till Briscoe's have got a sale and there's 50% off. And it's amazing the bargains that she gets. But most of us would be like that in terms of we, we value what we have left over and we don't just splash it around. We just don't throw it away. We want our discretionary dollars to count. Now, we know we give our tithes to the church, but then offerings, where you put your offerings, you want to make them count. And they will count when you sow them into places where there is no hope of the gospel being preached outside of our intervention. So we need to be more strategic than what we have been doing. That's why I, I love what Steiger are doing in Europe. That's why uh, I love what the ailings have been doing in Mozambique reaching the Makua, who are an unreached people group. Before they went in there, that tribe was unreached. Now there are tens of churches there. And the church itself is multiplying because local believers are now reaching out. That's what we should be doing. That's what we should be doing. Um, Ailings are now heading for Nepal and doing work up there. And, um, and Logan, I think you're heading for Nepal next year or hoping to. Those are the things that we need to invest our discretionary dollars in. Where are they going to make the most difference? Unfortunately, 85% of kids in New Zealand have never heard about Jesus Christ. And that's fast becoming an unreached people group. Uh, New Zealand is one of the most secular nations in the world. We used to think of ourselves as being Christian, but there's whole generations rising uh, where nobody knows about Jesus Christ. So we're going to make our efforts count. We're going to make our efforts count at home. We're going to make our efforts count in Northland. We've got to make our efforts count in where we sow our missions dollars. We all need to be part of that task. Let's have the musicians, please. And this is one of the reasons why we're fasting and praying next week. Not just so we can lose weight, but we're fasting and praying because we are serious. We're serious about this, and we know that when we get serious, God gets serious as well. And so on, your, um, on the sheets that were handed out, there's a whole pile of things that you can pray for. And what I suggest you do is focus on those. And if you're fasting, like I'm going to be fasting, um, then at the time you would normally have had a meal, use that time to pray. And Get something that's on your heart and pray into it and pray through it. So that's what we're going to do on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And that's why it'll be just really good if you, if you can, just um, tick the bottom bits and pieces, rip it off, throw it in the information uh, desk there. And, and that way we'll have an idea of how many of our people are 
joining with us to pray. Especially, especially, especially pray for missions. Ask God to give you a burden, not just for people locally, but people out there who don't have access to the gospel. If you, if Jesus lives in your heart, you are a missionary. Praying, going, and giving is what Jesus has commissioned you to do. If Jesus doesn't live in your heart, you're a mission field. And your eternal destiny is at risk and your life now has something missing. And that something missing is the peace of God. Something missing is that knowledge that you're going to spend eternity with Him. That something missing is hearing God's voice speaking to you, guiding and leading you. I mean, you're missing so much, but it doesn't need to be because every person here is just one prayer away from getting back on track with God. Just one prayer.